In the name of the one God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. Last Sunday, there was a lively group of St. Paul's families who made Advent logs with candles and greens to use for the home devotions. Each of the kids and some of the adults who asked received advent calendars. Remember those with the little doors that are numbered and they open and they show pretty pictures and sometimes there's even a scripture verse along with the chocolate. <laughs> Here's a fact. In all my 74 years, I have never seen an advent calendar sporting a picture of John the Baptist. Every year, the gospel for the second Sunday in Advent features the preaching of John the Baptizer, Jesus' cousin. He is featured in all four of the Gospels as the one who comes announcing Jesus. But John does not, as the Reverend Fleming Rutledge notes, proclaim Jesus as a captivating infant smiling benevolently at groups of assorted rustics, potentates, and farm animals. <laughs> Instead, John cries out, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. This unlovable and acerbic personality seems out of sync with much of what we think is appropriate in preparation for Christmas. Nobody who was out in the crowd on Friday night on First Street in Benicia, full of holiday cheer, would ever recognize John the Baptizer as someone in the right place at the right time. Well, John was out of sync from the moment of his birth. He was born to Elizabeth, long past menopause and barren, and to her husband Zechariah, a priest and Levite at the altar of God. At his birth, John's father sang the psalm that we shared this morning. You, my child, shall be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And John fulfilled his father's prophecy. He did become a prophet. He identified so closely with the prophets of 500 years before his time that he even wore the antique clothing prescribed for them. He was something of a wild man living out in the wilderness, eating locusts, uh, yes, that is the insect, and wild honey. People came out to where he was in the desert near the Jordan River, perhaps just to see the spectacle of this strange fellow. And if we went just about one line farther in the gospel than we did this morning, we'd hear John greet those who came out to the wilderness to see and hear them with these words, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How would you like to get those words on a Christmas card? <laughs> John the Baptist sets the tone for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. His language is apocalyptic. It signifies the arrival of God. And too often in our minds, John the Baptist is reduced either to a cartoon character redrawn by Gary Larson for the far side, or characterized as not only wild but also deranged. And further, we don't really understand what John's message is for us. Let's take that word repent 
that is used in the gospel that's often associated with John. In English, borrowed from Latin, repent means to be sorry, uh, even to be sorry over and over again, as in I realized I hurt your feelings, so I came to say I'm sorry. Maybe even I'm sorry you were hurt. Not necessarily I'm sorry I did it. <laughs> but John did not call on people to be sorry, but rather to deep transformational change, to metanoia, a transformation that offers to humankind the opportunity to see the salvation of God, a transformation that changes mental attitude and conduct, a transformation of thought and attitude and action with regard to sin and righteousness. So John's words go on to be rudely stark. Do something to show that you really have given up your sins. You Pharisees, you soldiers, all you people, if you do not produce good fruit in your life, you are like a tree that will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John so passionately cared about those people with whom he shared the bad news and the good news of the gospel that he urged them to change their ways so as to be ready for the one who is to come. John's life came at an in-between time in history. He's sometimes called the last prophet, for he's the last one before Jesus. He lives in a time between promise and through warning and not yet fulfillment. And in that in-between time, Jesus is born and God becomes fully human and the world is changed forever. And at some point, when all God's purpose is fulfilled entirely, this world will pass away. You and I, like John, like all other human beings live in an in-between time. It may be the in-between between our individual birth and death. It may be an in-between in the ages of human existence. It may be an in-between that is held entirely in the person of God who is outside any human clock or calendar limitation. We don't know. The message of John is as out of sync with our culture as he was out of sync with his era. We want to sink into the peace and good cheer that we'd like to believe is the only message of Christmas. We'd like to put aside gloom and doom for merriment, to forget for a moment the fears of terrorism and new flu virus and political unrest. And so, we Anglicans, we're out of sync with all that soft holiday celebration when we allow John the Baptist to turn up the heat on our sin, to call on us to prepare for the coming of Jesus by choosing metanoia, transformational, cleansing change. Like Malachi before him, John named our helplessness to be free of sin of our own accord and of ourselves. Malachi uses fearsome examples 
of how the holy of God's anointed is going to cleanse people when he comes. Malachi says he is like a refiner's fire. He is like fuller's soap. Refiner's fire. Think of the historic Bessemer furnaces, refining iron ore into steel. Those photographs of the sparks of fire going up into the night sky beyond human endurance. And fuller's soap. Fuller's soap was a mix of alkali and lye and clay and stale human urine. <laughs> Scraped onto raw cloth as it came from the weavers to bleach it, to remove oil and dirt and other impurities. What a cleansing stink you had to endure for fuller's soap. God's anointed is coming with refiner's fire and fuller's soap. God's refining, cleansing judgment is beyond human endurance except by God's grace. Naming sin is harsh to say and harsh to hear. You and I would be mortally discomforted if I were to stand here and name my personal sins publicly. It's just not nice. If I were to turn up the heat on y'all and publicly describe your sins were I to call you a bunch of snakes, you might want my head on a platter. Or at least you'd likely point out that I am out of sync in this season of happy good cheer. And yet, if Christmas is to mean anything to us, John must be taken seriously. If we want the peace and goodwill of the Prince of Peace, then we must own up that God has to send his only son because we have ignored all God's clear directions. We have been sinners from our mother's womb, unkind to others, impervious to the cries of those in need. We need John to interrupt our happy, clappy Christmas preparations for the birth of our Savior, who comes bringing us the gifts of forgiveness salvation, a new start in life because we cannot receive those gifts unless we acknowledge that we have need for them. If we don't take our sins as seriously as John does, then it will be near impossible to take God seriously. God, who took on human flesh for our sins and came to us to be one of us, if we don't listen to John's damning words, then neither will we appreciate the extreme measures that God has taken in order to deal with us by becoming a helpless baby. There are all too many people who will sing peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, and not have a clue of what they are singing about. They don't see themselves as the kind of sinners who need any help. After all, they do their best, and surely God won't hold that against them. They don't see that this baby in Bethlehem is their savior, that God came to birth for them in order to give them and us second birth. John the Baptist calls out now, Repent! Turn away from your sins 
And he isn't calling us to beat our breasts again and to say what miserable sinners we have been again. Rather, he calls us to change our ways, to do things a new way, a new way that forgets about greed and self-centeredness and puts other people and their needs first. When John points out how far we have moved away from God and we listen, then we can hear the Holy Spirit who points out that we have a God who forgives. And we hear God saying, comfort, comfort ye my people, your sins are forgiven. Advent is just four weeks of the year. But the Messiah who comes to us at Advent will not go away. Our need to be confronted with our sinfulness and to be in the process of godly transformation continues the year round. And all year, Jesus the Christ will remain a constant, forgiving, restoring presence in our lives. What remains for us to remember is to remember who we are. We are the forgiven ones. So let's forgive. We are loved by God in Christ. So let's love. We are those visited by God. Let's visit others with God's love. What a wealth of Advent and Christmas gifts we can give to all others, including those who do not know they have sins to forgive. Amen. Amen.